This is a podcast by The Straits Times. We are living in unprecedented times. The continuous support in our fight against COVID-19 will cost $8 billion. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, despite its relative success in dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, Singapore, with an economy that depends heavily on external factors, has taken a huge hit. A couple of weeks ago, around mid-August, Heng Sui Kiat, Singapore's Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, announced a new $5.8 billion US dollar package of measures to support an economy that reported a 13.2% year-on-year contraction in GDP in the second quarter. And the government expects Singapore's economy to shrink by between 5% and 7% this year, which would be its worst recession. Now, to help us get a grip on the key aspects of this and what lies ahead, I have on the line from Singapore, Selena Ling, Head of Treasury Research and Strategy at Global Treasury at the OCBC Bank. And also in Singapore, my colleague Vikram Khanna, Associate Editor at The Straits Times. Good morning to both of you. Thank you for making time. Morning. And morning. Thank you, Selena. Welcome back. I mean, th- I think the last time the three of us were together physically was on a stage in Singapore last November or December, if I'm not mistaken. And how rapidly the world has changed. Now we sort of sit remote and sanitized. But thank you very much again for joining Asian Insider. Selena, can you set the broad framework for us? What is the outlook for the economy? Will this support package help and for how long? And what keeps you up at night? Yeah, okay. Well, I think uh, there is the good news and the bad news. Uh, The bad news is that the economy did have a very sharp recession in the second quarter of this year. We did see a record contraction that was far worse than the period during SARS or during the global financial crisis. But we have also seen since the reopening of the Singapore economy in June that gradually economic activity is starting to normalize, although we are not back at pre-COVID levels. I think we are at a turning point. Um, We are starting to see some of the retail sales and uh, mobility trends coming back, but it's going to take a slightly longer period of time uh, to fully recover. And this is because of the very long tail of this COVID-19 pandemic. So we do not really have a vaccine uh, on hand yet. And there is a lot of market speculation about whether it's going to materialize end of this year or next year. But generally, we do think that the worst is probably over, but the road ahead still remains very challenging. Vikram, what are your views on that, on this, uh, on this support package and the, and the months ahead? Well, I, I broadly agree with uh, what Selena just said. I, I just say that the, uh, um, the economy has probably bottomed out. We're probably never ever going to have a quarter like Q2, which is probably the worst in our history. And there's going to be a rebound in Q3, um, at least on a quarter-on-quarter basis. But I think we should be, as Selena has suggested, we, we should be careful to note that a rebound is not a recovery. We're still, still going to end up with negative growth. And I hope it will be closer to minus 5 than minus 7, but it's still going to be negative. The second thing is that <clears throat> a reopening does not mean return to normal. You can reopen cinemas, but will people go? I mean, it depends on consumer behavior. I mean, restaurants have reopened, but they've reopened and they're operating at much less than normal capacity because of social distancing regulations. You can maybe reopen travel through travel bubbles or green lanes, but how many people will fly in or out? So I think, you know, that's, that's another thing. And then manufacturing, uh, while it's open, it, it, it's basically selling into depressed markets. So I think there's still a long way to go, yeah, to, to, to recovery. 
Uh -huh. Selena, now retrenchments have doubled and unemployment among residents rose to 3.9% in the second quarter compared with the previous quarter. What is the outlook for the labor market? What are the longer term challenges that are becoming apparent in terms of manpower and talent? Well, I always uh, characterize the COVID-19 pandemic as a little bit of like a train wreck. You know, uh, the train wreck, uh, you still feel the ramifications going through in terms of the labor market and also in terms of the credit deterioration that will come. The labor market has already seen an uptick in terms of the number of retrenchments and the unemployment rate in the second quarter. But I believe we have not seen the worst of it yet. We do think that, you know, the labor market will continue to soften further. This is because um, as some of the schemes start to run off and like Vikram mentioned, although things are starting to return, they are not quite back at normal levels yet. And this may be the new normal that, you know, we don't, we'll see people working from home rather than all going back to the office. And this will have a big impact on how business is done. I think going forward, um, you know, the government schemes like the job support scheme and the jobs growth initiative will help to try and create some employment for the recently displaced. But I don't think that they can fully offset the impact of, uh, you know, some of these changes that have uh, come into place because of COVID-19. So I do think that the unemployment rate probably will only pick a couple of quarters later towards the end of the year, um, depending on whether the support schemes uh, get extended further into 2020. Uh, one, you know, uh, I passed the March deadline uh, that was recently announced for the uh, 8 billion, uh, you know, fiscal package. I think uh, a lot of these are big question marks because it really depends on what's the state of the economy at that juncture and how willing are policymakers to actually continue to extend that fiscal assistance. Vikram, your thoughts on that and uh, beyond that, are there any silver linings that you see? What do you think will drive the recovery and short-term growth, if any? Any bright spots in certain sectors, for example? Let, let me just first deal with the labor market issues. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to what Selena has said, I think there are at least three challenges uh, that will face Singapore's labor market. One is the rise of remote work. Now, I think the, the remote work business model has been validated for many companies. Some companies have already declared that this is going to be a permanent arrangement, like Schroeder's, for example. Um, so now what is happening is that a lot of Singaporean workers will have to compete internationally with workers on online platforms, you know, such as Fiverr and Upwork and Freelancer. I mean, these are workers that uh, very often uh, can do the job at a much lower wage. Uh, they have a track record, they have ratings and so on. So I think Singapore workers will have to compete internationally uh, for a lot, of, a lot of different kinds of jobs, not only digital jobs, but even things like graphic design, uh, things like uh, uh, research, things like editing, things like medicine. I mean, all these things are gonna be offered online increasingly. So that's, that's gonna be one area of competition in Singapore's labor market. The second issue I think is job matching. I think a lot of the workers that have been laid off have been laid off in areas like aviation, the airlines, um, you had uh, retail, offline retail, uh, F&B, uh, fitness, uh, beauty, and so on. Uh, whereas a lot of the, the job openings are in areas like IT, financial services, e-commerce, pharma, bio, uh, biomedical, and so on. So there's a mismatch between the people who've been laid off and the, where the opportunities are. 
And as the manpower minister, Josephine Teo, said, I mean, workers will have to make an adjustment. They have to maybe uh, try and work in completely different industries. It'll be quite a challenging adjustment to make. I think the third challenge is that you're going to have more and more self-employed people as, as layoffs rise, like Selena mentioned, and you're going to have an expansion of the gig economy. So this raises issues about you know the, the type of contracts that workers in the gig economy have. They will need proper contracts with minimum uh, levels of protection, for example, on health, uh, on leave, and so on. So these are some of the challenges that uh, uh, lie ahead for the Singapore labor market. Now you asked about uh, silver linings. Uh, silver linings, uh, first I think the important thing is that there's a huge shift to digital all over and Singapore is very well positioned. I mean it has an excellent digital infrastructure among the best in Asia if not the best. Um, a second is important to note that not all sectors are going badly. I mean, while I mentioned some of the sectors that are suffering, but there are also sectors that are booming. I mean, the IT sector, the biomedical sector, the e-commerce sector, and, and a few others. In fact, there are some companies in these sectors that are doing even better in COVID, during COVID, than before COVID. We did an interview with Forrest Lee of the company C, and their, uh -huh. their profits were up 424% in the second quarter. That, that's just astonishing. So, I mean, so there are opportunities in these sectors. And today the government has declared there'll be 9,000 jobs in just the health sector alone. Um, the third thing is that Singapore's on the fast track to automation in manufacturing. Um, that's gonna be another trend going forward. That's gonna be, it's gonna accelerate automation. So Singapore has a pretty high proportion of robots to human workers among the highest uh, in, in the region, if not in the world. And finally, I think, um, Okay, although the economy, the external economy is largely depressed, it just so happens that Singapore's biggest trading partner is China, and China is doing the best among all major economies. So that might, might, might be helpful. And also, I think Asia is probably gonna come out of this, the COVID-19 faster than other regions. And so Singapore is in the right place. Very interesting. Uh, Selena, now Singapore is a financial trading services hub for the region. And it's interesting that Vikram uh, brought up China, the, uh, you know, the potential for recovery in China. Of course, Singapore's position comes you know, with some vulnerability, being an open and therefore vulnerable economy, vulnerable to external factors. And one issue is global supply chains, which has been a bit of a theme last year and this year. Are there any issues to see on the horizon in terms of Singapore's status as a hub? Well, I think uh, there are a couple of ways to look at this. Um, the ongoing US-China uh, you know, tensions obviously has cast a shadow over the prospects uh, for a Asia. Um, Singapore obviously uh, do feel the impact of uh, some of the recent re-escalation of US-China tensions. And this is taking place not only on the trade side, but we're starting to see you know, economic sanctions on particular individuals and also certain companies being targeted uh, this is actually very disruptive to global trade and also the whole multilateral trade framework. Uh, Singapore has always been a key beneficiary, being a small open economy and being a very trade dependent economy. So how do Singapore, uh, how is Singapore going to navigate in this new uh, environment? I think that is still a little bit of uh, uncertainty, but I, I'm quite hopeful. I mean, we do see you know uh, certain initiatives like RCEP continue to go ahead. 
And ASEAN obviously has made many uh, progress in many areas over the last few decades. So these bode well. Um, you can look at the glass half full because actually what has happened with the start of the US-China trade tensions back in 2018 is that it's driven a lot of MNCs and foreign companies to consider diversifying away from China as a factory of the world to actually having a China plus one strategy. So ASEAN seems to be the natural backyard for the plus one uh, you know, diversification strategy. And I think what the pandemic has done is that it's emphasized the importance of diversification in terms of your global supply chain. So some of the nearshoring or onshoring of uh, activities may actually bring some of the manufacturing activities that used to be very concentrated in China out to ASEAN as well, because we are still within the Asia, you know, Asian uh, territory. I think the other thing really to look out for is, of course, we have the US elections that's coming up. And there is a lot of uncertainty about whether, you know, is it going to be Biden or is it going to be Trump that's going to uh, win the elections? But I think what's clear is that whoever wins the election, they are still going to be tough on China because there seems to be bipartisan support to be actually fairly tough on China going forward. So I think, you know, for Singapore that's fairly reliant on China as a key trading and investment partner, there are uh, still some, you know, dark clouds ahead in the horizon. Right. I'm glad you brought up the U.S. because sitting here in D.C., we're still, of course, in the middle of the pandemic. And we also have a, an election campaign which is heating up and considerable amount of anxiety over what will transpire in November with the election. And one can't help but think that, you know, the, the festive season, Christmas is you know barely something like four months away. How important is it that the U.S. sees an economic recovery, an uptick in demand? Selena, maybe you could say something about the you know, tell us something sure. about the importance of the U.S. to the global economy and to and to the regional economy out there. Okay, I'm still fairly hopeful about the uh, festive season coming up four months away, as you mentioned. Okay, um, the the problem is that we've had a huge drop off, you know, in the first part of this year due to the pandemic, and then we're starting to see the retail sales having a little bit of like a V-shaped bounce, uh, you know, uh, in June, July, and going into August, but it seems to be running a little bit out of steam. And that's because uh, a lot of these cliff effects are coming into play. So a lot of the emergency programs, uh, including uh, in the US when you know the $600 weekly uh, unemployment benefits uh, expired. And although President Trump has signed a temporary $300, but it's a question of when Congress can get this act together and actually you know, uh, extend the stimulus further. So this story is not unique to the US. It's a similar story that we're seeing around the world. So we've had the UK, we've had Australia, you know, we've had even Singapore consider extending some of its emergency uh, programs. So this is to try and tide over a potential cliff effect when suddenly the fiscal assistance runs out and then consumers feel the pinch again uh, or the pain because of the softening labor market and then they tighten their belts and they cut back on consumer spending. And then you may actually see that, you know, the economy goes back into a nosedive again towards the end of the year. So as long as policymakers are quite open to the idea that fiscal assistance will still try and backstop the markets, monetary policy will remain accommodative for the foreseeable future. I think at least this will keep a floor you know, below the consumer spending story for here. 
Very interesting. Uh, Vikram, last word from you on the same subject, if I may. How important is it, how critical is it for the US to have, you know, to see some sort of economic recovery? I mean, this is sort of crystal ball gazing because there's so many variables in play, right? But it, at the moment, it still doesn't look very good. I mean, the pandemic is still, as I said, uh, going full steam ahead. And we're looking at an uncertain winter with potentially a flu season as well. So how important is what happens in the US? Well, it's, it's critically important. I mean, even even for our regional trade, I mean, the final buyer of, of the exports are the US and Europe. I mean, it's critical that both of these economies recover. I think the issue for the US, I mean, the, the overarching issue is that they still have to control the pandemic. I mean, you still have the pandemic surging in many states. Um, there are reinfections, there are reimpositions of lockdowns and all those things. That's one, one issue. The, the second issue, I think, what Selena mentioned, I mean, I think the, the, the fiscal response uh, has, not, has, has not resumed yet. I mean, Congress has been in a gridlock over whether to extend the sort of the, the, the unemployment benefits. And I don't know when that's going to be resolved. So I think they have to come up with some kind of fiscal response, uh, without which uh, I think, you know, you're going to have a, a depressed economy through, throughout the, the rest of the year. So I, I think it's critical and I think it's, uh, it's in an awkward position. I think the election probably makes it even more difficult because I think uh, you're going to have a lot of histrionics and a lot of, uh, uh, it's quite, going to be quite ugly, I think, as you and I were discussing earlier. So I think that, that that's going to make things more difficult for the U.S. economy. I think so. I think this year is going to be is going to be a bad year, generally. Excellent points. Uh, thank you, Vikram Karna, uh, Selena Ling. Thank you very much for joining Asian Insider today. Much appreciated. All the best out there. Singapore has a reputation for very sound economic management. It will be challenged to adapt and it will be challenged given its uh, vulnerability to global trends and other big external economic engines. It'll, it is very much a litmus test for the COVID and post-COVID era. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.